Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. Well, let's talk about power dynamics, because we're going back to something approaching normal in the workplace at some point, but we're never going to be entirely in person again in most organizations. We're always going to have virtual be a lot more important than it was before the pandemic. So when we talk about virtual offices and virtual meetings, we should talk about how the power dynamic changes in that circumstance. Because right now, you know, we're just kind of going along. We started this and uh, we we made the best of it. We assumed that we would have virtual meetings and they'd be more or less like what we used to have in terms of live meetings. Now I think we have to come to terms with the fact that some things are going to be different and there are ways to handle that. My guest today is Laura Simpson. She's Chief Intelligent Officer of McCann Work Group. Now, McCann Work Group has done some interesting work on how virtual meetings change the power dynamic within a group as compared to an all-live meeting. It was a really interesting discussion because, you know, there are things we all assume about meetings and you have to rethink all of that. I had a great discussion with Laura and about, you know, who's going to win, who's going to lose and how it's going to impact different groups, particularly how it's going to impact diversity outcomes. Because, again, it's different when you're working virtually at home or somewhere else than when you're all together in one room. It was a really good discussion. There's some great takeaways. So whether you're a worker trying to get your voice heard or a manager trying to get the best outcomes, it is absolutely worth listening to. So please stay with us. Well, now that we're moving to virtual meetings as more of the norm, how will that change power dynamics within organizations? Well, my guest today is Laura Simpson. She's Chief Intelligence Officer of McCann Work Group, and she joins me to talk about her views on this and the research her organization has done. Hi, Laura. Hi. I understand you're joining me from Essex in in the UK. Uh, This is a, a global issue. It is a global issue. Um, Yeah. And I'm in a really fortunate position because we collect data from lots of different markets around the world. So we're able to look at, um, you know, how all kinds of different people are, are, are wrestling with the, you know, the changing dynamics around the pandemic. Lots to talk about there. I like to talk to my guests about their own backgrounds first, actually, because it's so interesting to find out how people ended up doing what they're doing. Can you just give us a brief synopsis of that? Absolutely. So um, I started off in in market research more than 20 years ago. So sort of specializing in qualitative and quantitative research. And then I transitioned into advertising and marketing. And I've had various roles over the years, sort of sometimes more trends centric, but also always with um, kind of research and, and culture at the core. And uh, yeah, I've been at McCann Wild Group for quite a while. I I worked in New York. I'm now based back in London again, but my role is global. So I'm the, as you said, the chief intelligence officer of McCann Wild Group. So um, yeah, so I spent a lot of time looking looking at data and thinking about what makes uh, humans tick. And over the years, I guess you spent a lot of time in meetings. I have. (laughs) Let's go back to pre-pandemic. I mean, there were some things we have observed about how people come together and who speaks and who gets heard. What are the things that stand out to you? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been I've been reflecting on this subject a lot as we've kind of transitioned into more and more virtual meetings and now the kind of hybrid world. So, you know, I think like a lot of people, I've been thinking about going back to the way things were and reflecting on, you know, what were in real life meetings like? And, you know, obviously there are lots of fantastic things about being with people in in person. But one of the things I was reflecting on is, you know, particularly, you know, years and years ago when I first started out in my career, how challenging I found meetings as as a junior person. Um, I actually found them really, really intimidating. I found it really hard to speak up. Um, and And I felt somehow that my value at work was kind of tied up with how well I could perform in a meeting. And I was I was kind of reflecting on that and thinking, I wonder if some of that anxiety has gone away, like in a virtual world where people aren't sitting around a boardroom table anymore. Um, and kind of all of those old old dynamics have, have been challenged. So um so yeah, I've been I've been I've been thinking about that and reflecting on that um, a lot from a personal point of view, but also through through the lens of our data. Well, you know, for sure when I think about the years when I was junior in my job, I started as an economist, you know, we'd have all these people in around a table, everyone had done pretty good work, but there were people who dominated, right? And it's a certain personality type. Yeah, I mean, the, it's interesting, because when I when I first started, uh, when I when I first first started work, as I said, I was I was working in market research. So one of the things I learned to do at the beginning of my career was to moderate focus groups. And, you know, that's a that's a very specific skill and it requires training. And one of the things that you get taught to do is look out for dominant respondents. So these are people who hijack the conversation. Yes. Um, you know, they want to talk the whole time. It's very hard for other people to, to speak. And one of the tips I was given is, you know, a dominant respondent will often sit directly opposite you or they will sit next to you. So I just became really sensitized to this idea of, um, I guess, dominance in a meeting, who had control, where was the power. And, you know, I would just sit back and spend time observing that, you know, particularly as a junior person who was moderating groups and also comparing that to being in agency meetings and, and meetings with, with clients. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's it's definitely um, it's definitely something I've thought about, and I'm 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 very aware of who speaks most, where's the power, and are we creating an environment that's you know inclusive? You know, are there things that aren't being said because we haven't created the right conditions in that meeting to get contributions from everyone? Well, I mean, to an extent, we hired for this, correct? Now, we're the person who could express themselves well. And we were told, I mean, I think about as a young woman coming into banking or whatever, you know, learn to be the person who speaks up at a meeting and, and sit somewhere that's not in the back and where people can see you. Yeah. So now we're virtual. So yeah. what has changed now that we've thrown away some of the, the norms? Yeah. I mean, obviously, so much. So much has changed, um, but the, the the comment you just made there made me think about, you know, one of the other things we've been exploring in our research to do with um, kind of like extroverts versus introverts, and I think this is something that people have been reflecting on more and more over the course of the the pandemic. Um, you know, it's something people have been talking about a lot on social media. You know, if you are an introvert, you know, how have you found the pandemic? How do you prefer to interact with people? 
And we, we saw in our data that actually quite a lot of people, I think around a third of people said they felt a little bit more introverted as a result of the pandemic, right? Because they haven't had as much, obviously, social interaction over the last couple of years. But I think one of the things I've noticed in virtual meetings is, you know, they, they can be really good for introverts because we have the chat bar, right? Because we have this kind of multi-layered meeting that is allowing for people to interact in different ways, to contribute in a way that best suits them. Um, and I find that really fascinating. And I want to make sure that as we move into a hybrid world, as we start to do more and more physical meetings, that we don't lose that. Because I think, you know, I've benefited from that over the last couple of years. You know, I've I have read things in the chat that I think that's it. Like that's the thing. And that person wasn't going to say that out loud in front of the group. It's a real shift though. I mean, it, getting back to you know, who you hire, now you're hiring for skills, right? You're talking about the person who has these great thoughts and is able to contribute in this meeting. Otherwise that person probably wasn't valued as highly because you may never have heard that thought. I mean, absolutely. I mean, to be honest, when I, when I think about things that kind of keep me up at night, <laughs> when I think about my my role or, um, you know, the, the, the future of our industry, uh, and I think about DE&I and inclusivity and, and belonging and how important that is to the future of our industry. And then I think about all of those thoughts and ideas we are hemorrhaging on a daily basis because they're getting lost in the way that we set up meetings and the way that we interact. You know, how many thoughts are just staying in people's heads because we haven't created, as I said, created the right conditions for those, those thoughts to be shared. And that's one of the things I have loved about the virtual meeting. I feel like I'm, A, I'm seeing more of those. And the other thing I really love, and again, I, I, I can only speak from my own experience and the meetings that I've been in at McCann World Group is Sometimes you'll see this thing where someone shares a thought in the chat, and maybe it's the first time they've shared something, and then you'll just see these hearts and these thumbs up popping up on the, on the message. And I think that's so reassuring to that person, and then it encourages them to say something else, right? Because they get that immediate sense of, oh, like my contribution is worthwhile, my contribution is valued. Um, so what's the equivalent of that in a, in a, in a physical meeting? Like, how do we make sure that we continue um, some of those positive cultural changes that I think have emerged as a, res as a result of virtual work? And you've done research on how people view this, right, in terms of uh, women, men, people from different ethnic groups, whatever. What have you found there? Yeah, really, really interesting. We found um, that actually, so in our in our research, we asked people whether they self-identify as being part of a minority group. And we found that if you self-identify as being part of a minority group, you were um, significantly more likely to say that remote working has helped your working life. Um, you're more likely to say that um, remote working and virtual working has increased diversity and inclusivity um, at your company. Um, and interestingly, the younger you are, the more likely you are to, to think that as well. So um, really, really fascinating. Um, obviously, I've got, got thoughts on, on why we're seeing those, those differences in the data. And of course, you know, it isn't like with any data set, it isn't a universal 
experience. So, you know, obviously there, there, are, there are people who are part of minority groups or younger people who are, you know, desperate to get back to the office and haven't enjoyed virtual working. But, you know, from from a data point of view, it certainly looks like, um, you know, it's, it's benefited that those groups in, in certain ways. You know, it's interesting because I've read the opposite as well. I've read this and I've also read that some people particularly from, you know, specific backgrounds, don't want people seeing their homes, right? And mm, the office mm. is a bit of an equalizer. Have mm. you come across that at all? Mm, mm. Yeah, that's that's um, that's very interesting, isn't it? Um, we didn't see that specifically in the research about people not wanting to see their homes. Um, we did see around younger employees, for example, this idea that um, obviously and missing the social interaction, missing the chance to socialize with colleagues, missing the opportunity to potentially see, um, you know, older older employees kind of modeling certain behaviors in, in the office. So I know I've certainly seen that from, from younger people. And um, obviously, for I think for some people, a lot of parents, you know, there there is an upside to working from home in terms of flexibility. But for other parents, you know, it's, you know, if you don't have the right environment, you know, I'm very, very fortunate that I have a separate space to work in. Obviously, lots of people aren't as fortunate as I am. You know, if you have a chaotic situation at home or a situation that's harder to control, of course, you know, it's easier for you for you to be in the office. Um, but I think for, for me, where this all sort of nets out is it's not that, you know, one virtual work is good and work in the office is bad or work in the office is good and virtual work is bad you know I think both of these things are just a tool sets and like everything it's about how we use those tools and how we empower people to to use them and kind of advise them you know in terms of how best to use them because let's face it you know we've all been in horrible virtual meetings Absolutely. you know for all of mm-hmm. us and we've all probably been in horrible you know real world physical meetings as well and that was nothing to do with the the tool set or the the physical space well actually it may have been to do with the I know that there are, there are technology failures that have definitely made virtual virtual meetings bad, but you know, more likely it's to do with the way you've set up the meeting or the way people are interacting or not having the right objective for the meeting. Um, so yes, I think obviously all of these tools can be used to great effect or can be used in, in a negative way as well. Laura, do you have a view on leaving your camera on? It's kind of a controversial issue, right? Some people think it's okay to shut it off. Some people think it should always be on. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really interesting. I, in general, I think that it's better if people have their cameras on. Like when I have meetings with my team, I like people to have their cameras on because I think to some extent it's about creating sort of mutual respect within the group, right? We are, we are virtual, but we are here together and I'm listening to you. Like I'm here, I'm present, I'm listening. At the same time, I also want to create an environment at work where at any point someone feels comfortable and safe to say to me, um, I'm, I'm going to keep my camera off today if that's okay. Like I'm just, I'm, I need a break from the screen. Um, I've got, you know, I've got other things going on. Like I'm going to be there. I'm listening, but just so you know, and I am 100% fine with that. So for me, it's about the norm should be let's have our cameras on as much as possible because I think it, cr- it actually creates a feeling of equity mm-hmm. and collaboration. 
but we should be very understanding that there are times when people need to turn their camera off. Okay, okay let's move forward. We're going to get into some kind of post-pandemic reality. We're going to go back to offices, but we're never going to get rid of this virtual world, right? So what are the lessons that managers, organizations should be taking from this and applying? So many lessons. I think for me, one of the, the key lessons, I guess, is to not... It's sort of going to sound quite big, but I think sometimes there's a tendency in businesses to think, you know, obviously just because we've always done this a certain way, this is the way that we should continue to do it. And then we've had this huge enforced disruption and we've all realized that actually our businesses can thrive in ways that we didn't appreciate, you know, that we that, that we didn't expect that to, to work. So I think for me, we just have to be open to... Um, to completely reimagining models and, and the way things work from a from a from a working point of view, um, I think I think that's a big one. I think you know going back to what I was saying earlier, some of those lessons that we may have learned about inclusivity and diversity and how to make sure that we're getting those democratic meetings that are like true levelers. How do we keep hold of those that that magic and make sure that that also works in a, in a hybrid world? I think, you know, for us as a, as a global organization, it's been huge because, you know, for a long time, you know, pretty much my whole job, I've worked in a global organization. And I think as a global organization, we are pretty networked, we're pretty connected, but I have never felt more connected as a global organization in the last year, because suddenly I am in meetings with people from all over the world and we're all there together looking at each other and you know we move around on time zones to make it as democratic as possible whereas before it would have been a far sketchier situation you know kind of like some people on the phone some people in the room you know it just didn't feel like a, a democratic global inclusive situation and now it does so we need to not lose that not lose lose sight of that i think from a hiring point of view one of the things I'm more I'm so excited about is this idea that it's given me, in my mind, a more expansive talent pool. Um, and I'm really excited by the fact that I can look for talent in places that perhaps I wasn't considering before. So actually, we've just hired someone new for our team in the UK who's based in up in Manchester, and she's going to come down to London probably every couple of weeks. But honestly, prior to the pandemic, I wouldn't have considered hiring someone outside of London because to the point I made at the beginning, I was like, well, this is how it works. Like we're in London, we're in the city of London. I need people who work close to London and can commute in. Suddenly I'm like, I can just find the best person. That's cool. I can find the best person, you know, and again, from a, from a DE&I point of view, you know, if I, if I find someone who from a, you know, physically finds it hard to come into the office you know, or for whatever reason, for me, that's no longer a barrier. Like I'm excited that I have new opportunities to hire people um, that again, may, may not have been considered before because of this barrier we had around the physical office. Okay. And in terms of the physical office, I know we had hybrid meetings before the pandemic. You'd have a screen up and you'd see the person. Do you think we need to change things now that we're making this more permanent? We're going to have this mix? Because, I mean, we're changing everything. We can change the physical yeah. structures too. Yeah. 
Yes, I mean, absolutely. I think we're going to need to be very thoughtful in terms of how we use technology meetings and, and, and what, what kind of technology. And, you know, as we know, obviously, there are all kinds of companies now that are helping to um, helping us to visualize, visualize that, that future. Um, one of the things we've been doing as we transition into this world of hybrid work is do what we call, I guess, we call them experiments. So every meeting is an experiment and we will try different things. And then after the meeting, we will have almost like a post-mortem with the attendees. And we say, hey, how did that work? How was it for you? Like, how could we have made it better? Um, so to give, you a, to give you an example of that, a few weeks ago, we ran a workshop and we really wanted it to be like a workshop, you know, like, people in a room, sticking things on walls, being really creative together, except for we had some people in New York and we had some people in London. And there were more people in New York. So they were all in the room together. And then there were a couple of people joining. Um, and it was really interesting learning because I was one of the people joining virtually. And everyone in the meeting had their laptop on their knees. And they were like looking in, they were on teams basically they were looking into their laptops um and it was interesting because as a as a virtual participant I felt almost like a little bit guilty like oh they're having to change the way they're interacting because I'm here and at the same time they were like no 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 it's fine it's fine it's fine but even that was an interesting learning around the that that dynamic and kind of how we you know, how, how we just think through some of these new challenges. And, you know, again, from my point of view as a, as a virtual participant, I found it really, really tiring, like two hours of this kind of like creative meeting. It wasn't like being in a workshop where you're kind of all bouncing off each other's energy. Um, and, you know, we, we, we spoke about it afterwards. And one of the suggestions that, that we talked about was, you know, rather than just doing everything via laptop, like, is there a moment where you switch to phone? And then if you're moving around the room, I can at least feel like I'm moving around the room as a virtual participant. You know, like I felt like I needed a change of energy as much as everyone in the room needed a change of energy because I was the person who was sitting there staring at the screen. So yeah, I, th I think that idea of thinking about meetings, hybrid meetings as experiments and testing and learning in every single um, interaction and meeting is, is really important because we're not going to get it right straight away. You know, it's going to take a while for us to figure this out. Yeah, very much a work in progress. Laura, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Laura Simpson is Chief Intelligence Officer of McCann Work Group. Well, that's it for today. If you want to see more about Laura and about the survey we talked about, please check out our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at at RelentlessEco. Now, if you did enjoy this discussion, please take a moment and leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. That's how people find podcasts. And if people can find us, it will really help us continue these discussions around the future of work. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks, as always, to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. 
The Work in the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production. 